Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm your host Boris Felgendreyer, and today I have Radu Palamario, headhunter from Elkhart Global, and Knut Alike, partner at McKinsey and Company, on the program. Both guests are influential thinkers on the topic of supply chain leadership. And in this episode, the three of us explore how the last few years, in particular, have elevated the function of supply chain management inside many organizations around the world. But how can supply chain leaders actually capitalize on this development and permanently secure a supply chain management seat in the boardroom, as well as paving their own potential career path into the CEO role? You will find out the answer to this question and much more in today's episode of the Logistics Tribe. Enjoy. Hello, Radu. Hello, Knud. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program. Our pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Um, looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, so am I. So am I. So I've been wanting to talk about leadership and supply chain for quite a while. And as this so happens, you guys published a book on that topic not long ago that we will draw very heavily from here today. And of course, you are experts when it comes to leadership and supply chain. You talk a whole lot about that. Wherever I see you, whether it's on LinkedIn or in presentations, the subject and the topic of supply chain leaders is very close to your heart, particularly to Radio, right? Because you're a headhunter, a well-known, very visible headhunter who deals with leaders in supply chain. Every day also has a podcast by the same name. So it's very much down your wheelhouse. I'm very excited to talk to two experts on this topic. And to get us started, you claim in the book that the question that set you out on this journey to explore this topic and to actually work together exploring it is why don't we see more supply chain leaders becoming CEOs? Which sort of surprised me because I still very vividly remember a time, maybe five, ten years ago, where it was all the rage where people said, okay, this is the advent of the area of the chief supply chain officer. Remember that? The CSEO, chief supply chain officer, more and more people up in the ranks. Suddenly, supply chain has a seat in the boardroom. And by the same token, when Tim Cook became CEO of Apple, everybody was pointing out, hey, here's a guy that came from manufacturing and supply chain. So we all thought, okay, you know, we're finally here. Now it's finally happening. You know, supply chain leaders have a seat in the boardroom and they also advance to the CEO role. But here we are, 2023, and we're still talking about this, and you're still lamenting that we're not seeing more supply chain leaders advancing to the role. Do you have some numbers to actually prove that we're sort of lagging behind other functions like sales, marketing, R&D, finance, other roles that could advance to the CEO level? Is this sort of anecdotal, what you're seeing, or do we have strong numbers to back up that claim that set of your book to begin with? Yeah, so we, we indeed, we, we looked into the numbers. Um, and we we wanted to understand how how many of the of the CEOs and we we took as a sample we took the Fortune 200, and we looked mm -hmm. into the German MDAX and DAX, and these companies. So it's a uh, it's 200 plus 90 companies. And um, what we see um, was um, uh, was frustrating and supports uh, that there is a need to bring more supply chain people to the board. So in the Fortune 200, we have 11 percent of the CEOs with uh, a supply chain background. And uh, clearly that includes Tim Cook. Um, so there are people, but they're not a lot. Mm -hmm. There are 13% of these companies have a chief supply chain officer. If you now look into the German ducks, M ducks, together, there's only one. The ducks has zero CEOs mm -hmm. with a supply chain background. So this is clearly something where, where we would say, hey, here, we need to do something. And this is also where, where Radu and I said that, hey, we don't see enough. And isn't it something where we, we felt that um, supply chain leaders would make good CEOs? And that's what basically right. sets 
uh, up for the uh, for the journey to then interview people and kind of distill a bit the the essence of um, what is it that these people do and what is what is their story, so to say. Yeah, and just to go back to that story about the German market. So here we're not talking about a situation where the name supply chain VP or supply chain leader or chief supply chain officer is just not widely used. So you are, here you actually taking into account other roles that are disguised, right? That have different titles, but are sort of describe the same function in supply chain. So all of that, what we would describe supply chain is underrepresented in German boardrooms and in the CEO role in particular. Yeah, definitely. Got it. Radu, you wanted to add to that? To the point of why do we think that supply chain should be more represented? Maybe let's go a little bit on that question as well. Obviously, both me and Knut are biased. Knut does supply chain uh, bread and butter. I place people in supply chain and if I place them as CEO, I make a higher fee. But on top of that, <laughs> on top of that, the objective reason why at least myself believe, I, I believe strongly that there should be more. Supply chain is the function that connects the whole organization. It moves data, it moves finances, money, it moves goods, produces, moves goods. Um, you can argue, and of course we can argue that finance maybe maybe has a certain level of depth that is similar, but I would I would say that supply chain has has and sees everything. Yeah, and it's some use the nervous system. If you were um, using an analogy of a human body, it's the nervous system. It makes everything move. So on that principle, on that following that analogy, I believe that there should be more CEOs that come from supply chain because supply chain touches everything in the company. Now historically. It's not been the place. And I mean, historically, if you look even past the last five to 10 years, there wasn't even a chief supply chain officer. That that in itself, that role is fairly new in the overall scheme of things. I mean, we had logistics for a very long time since armies existed and people right. fought battles and wars. We had manufacturing maybe from the 50s, 60s and so on. Supply chain is a term from the 80, 40, 84, 90 has started to be, but it's not that, uh, that long ago, yeah? But now with the maturity of the function and of the term of the capabilities of the scope, it just makes sense that, that we should have more CEOs. But why we don't is because, again, historically, and all the people in the book, the 26 people, nobody had a background in supply chain. Supply chain didn't exist as a bachelor, as a master's and so on 20, 30 years ago for executives to follow that. That's on, on one side of the, right. of the coin. And on the other side of the coin, there's a soft skills element. There's a certain humility to the practitioners. There's a certain, okay, I don't, uh, I don't need to brag to hit my chest with a brick, uh, maybe which, which comes a little bit with a sales function or with the marketing function. They don't, they don't go out and, and claim and say and share the value that they bring to the organization as much, which actually doesn't work in their favor because when it is to appoint a CEO or the next board member, of course, this is extremely, extremely important. So I would say that's kind of the reason why we, uh, Knut and I thought that, look, let's one, elevate the function, give some of these extremely concrete examples of where people from supply chain made a significant, significant difference in their companies and also hopefully inspire them to be a bit more vocal. We have a chain model that we'll talk about, be a bit more vocal and explain to the organizations the value they bring so that they can be more better positioned to be CEOs. Yeah. Knut, just to linger a little bit longer on this sort of comparison to other functions and the way that other functions are more successful. So where are CEOs typically drawn from? What other functions outsmart 
supply chain functions in the race to the CEO role? Like where, where are these guys and girls coming from? So that's, that's clearly different by, by industry, right? So, um, but if you, um, mm -hmm. and also building on what, what Arlo said, that kind of manufacturing is around since, since many, many years. Um, so you see, you see kind of uh, manufacturing heavy companies, right? So here you have kind of CEOs coming from manufacturing. There was a time where uh, we saw a lot of CEOs coming from finance, right? which is kind of, hey, it, it was very important to kind of do the financial modeling, financial engineering. So here, here we, have, um, we have CEOs. And then there is a lot of CEOs that um, that also come from sales and marketing, right? Because um, that is kind of seen as super important to make sure that we uh, we sell. Kind of the the overall operations function was more like a a operations support sales to sell, right? And that's why um, CEOs um, come from come from sales. We had we had one of the interviews where one of the contributors basically said, "Hey, look, there's probably also phases where kind of." Um, what was important, and um, and this guy was was from India, so he said that hey, in India manufacturing was very important. So he, here we saw a lot of manufacturing people um, coming becoming CEOs, and then kind of it it shifted kind of step by step, and that's why we also assume and see that there is clearly now a trend that we have more supply chain people going into the board, um, still not yet enough. And if you think about why is that, because all of these global issues we have these days is basically um, supply chain at its heart, right? So you need to make sure that you kind of think end to end. You need to breathe end to end. You need to go into this holistic management of your of your supply chain value chains. And this is something that is also very, very important for the, for the CEO. There, there's, there's a lot of quotes of CEOs um, nowadays when they do their investor briefings, where they kind of talk about supply chain, right? And this is where you can see that it elevates, where they say, hey, because of our supply chain, we could navigate the crisis. Um, whereas before that would never be mentioned. Supply chain was more kind no. of the, the stuff that is in the back and is working. And only if something goes wrong, then, oh, then it pops up. But it's, it, it's, it's never popping up if it's, uh, if it's doing well. And this is now changing kind of clearly because of the disruptions. And one of my clients, I found this very interesting. He said, look, with a pandemic, the board understood how important we are. We got a seat at the table, so to say, a seat at the table of the boardroom. And now kind of things are getting better. It's not yet over, very, very clear. It's getting better. And now we need to kind of prove ourselves that we deserve this seat. So not only do we need to fix, we also need to innovate. And I found this very interesting to kind of put it this way, with, uh, which is also kind of pushing um, people in supply chain to continuously innovate and uh, and improve the overall situation. There is a book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Marshall Goldsmith, small time book, extremely easy to mm -hmm. read, recommended for everybody. I'm using it as an example to build upon Knut's point. COVID was a blessing in disguise for supply chain professionals and for supply chain at large. My daughter knows about supply chain. She's actually reading the book and she's 10. She's actually very upset with me. I didn't, we didn't write the chapter about her. It's a separate story. And um, people found out about supply chain by and large. Now, from being at the table doesn't mean what got you here won't get you there. Doesn't mean that that, that will last forever. So this is where we hope, and, and that's why we're doing also all this podcast, where we're trying to inspire the supply chain professionals to look the key key things are in the soft skills. This is something that by and large historically has not been um, 
perhaps the main focus of the profession. It's the hard skills that were the main focus. They're still extremely important. I'm not saying, you know, all the data analytics, operations, Lean Six Sigma, logistics, planning. Of course, you need to know all of that. But let's just say, if you do not have the ability to communicate simply, to influence the board, to tell a compelling narrative of what is the value that you bring to the organization, how do you as the supply chain leader add clients, bottom line, EBITDA, all the good things that the business care about. By the way, not truck utilization, logistics, network improvement, manufacturing output. They don't care about that. It's zero meaning to a board level, those buzzwords. Unless you have that ability and that narrative skills, you won't stay there. The board at some point will stop asking you to come to the board meetings because you're boring them. I mean, I'm sorry to be harsh, but I've seen it happen. And, and, and yeah. it's, it's a muscle that we, just like when we go to the gym, over time, you can practice and you will not become Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime to become Mr. Universe, but you can get better at this, at this soft skills. I would urge all supply chain professionals, look into this if you want to keep your seat at the table and specifically if you want to become CEO. Yeah, let's let's dig into that a little bit more later, especially giving some concrete tips of how to get from A to B, fulfill the vision that you're just describing. But let's linger on the COVID situation for just a, a couple of minutes longer, because you just said that it was a blessing in disguise for the role of supply chain. You could also argue the other other side of the coin by saying, you know, the last two, three years really did shine a light on this whole function, but it also showed how brittle and how broken some of our supply chains still are and how messy this entire function still is. So you could also argue that it wasn't a pure 100% blessing in disguise. It was also a revelation that for the longest time we were under this illusion that, yeah, everything's fine, everything's working smoothly, but if push comes to shove and the real crisis hits, hits the van, then everything falls to pieces very quickly which you could argue some supply chains didn't look too good in that scenario. Please please comment on that, whether it's all blessing in disguise or whether it's also it's a double-sided coin, so oh, Excellent, to speak. Uh, excellent. Yeah. So it, 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 it's clearly kind of uh, double-sided, but, but let, let, let's step up back a bit and, and look into what, what really happened. Because what we read in the press is always, it's kind of, hey, we have broken supply chains. It's not mm -hmm. going to work. Um, we will not have our Christmas presents and, and so on and so on. If you look into the numbers, and that's quite interesting, the global supply chain system uh, did work as good as possible, but it was completely overloaded. And that's what people often forget. So for the first time since the early 70s, we have a supply shock. We don't have a demand shock, we have a supply shock. What does that mean? We have um, kind of, the US kind of flooded their people with money, right? They did spend the money, China was able to produce, so if you kind of overload the global supply chain by 10, 20, 30% volume, very, very clear that you reach your capacity very soon. And this is exactly what we saw, right? So you reach the capacity and then kind of you have this kind of queuing and it's going longer. And so it's kind of getting to a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's getting worse and worse and worse. So from that perspective, that we always need to keep in mind that kind of supply chain kept the world moving, right? So did we have a food crisis in Europe? No, we did not have a food crisis, even though some people hoarded toilet paper. But the, the kind of, it was, it was working, right? So now you could also argue that, hey, um, isn't it kind of too optimized? And that's why it did, it did break. And, um, and here I would agree, right? So here you have something where you kind of optimize further and further and further. And now kind of a small disruption happens. And this has 
we all know the bullet effect. This has kind of um, follow-on um, effects. And also, it's also very clear um, that um, companies who did not have the transparency do not have a proper end-to-end -end processes in place, discussion and, um, and IT backbone. They were hit harder. Fully agree, right? I had... I always tell the story that a client told me that, hey, look, look we, we planned with Excel, so I have no clue what I can produce. I need to go to the receiving area and see what came yesterday, and then I can do my production planning. That's clearly not good, right? So if you would upgrade, and this is what you see, we also did, uh, did some surveys where we could see that the companies who did already kind of put in a proper supply chain, proper supply chain manager, the board understanding that end-to-end -end is super important, they navigated the crisis indeed better, but um, as now everyone is talking about it, we should kind of use that with a positive spin and say, hey, you need to do something. You need to, so to say, ensure your supply chain to be not disrupted, right? Like a little bit like a car insurance. You need to have that insurance in place. And this is what we call risk and resilience. And this is what we call digital. And this is what we call end-to-end. -end. So, so one, two, blessing in disguise in the context of proximity to the board and in, in, in the context of supply chain, getting a seat at the table, being asked the hard questions. At the same time, I mean, ultimately it is what, what do you do with it? Um, I strongly believe there's no such thing as bad publicity using a, a lateral analogy. I don't. <laughs> I, I believe that a disgruntled client can be your best client. It's up to you what you do with the feedback and how do you do the, the customer experience from that point onwards. <laughs> to to work to work towards a satisfied customer. I mean, I think most people will allow a mistake. Now, repeated mistakes on the same topic won't be allowed. So the fact that, of course, did supply chains work flawlessly? No. I mean, if you have a port, uh, to make even more concrete the example of Knut, you have a port that, that can service 10 ships a day and all of a sudden you need 15 ships, how are you going to do it? You only have that one crane. <laughs> You only have that one port. That's what happened. Like, I mean, is this the fault of the uh, U.S. government or the ports of Europe that they should have thought that the pandemic will hit and should have planned excess capacity in ports? That doesn't happen in reality. So, so I would say it's it's what what you do with it. Uh, it's what you do with the situation. Is the response to the situation that matters? It's not exactly what what happens in the situation. And uh, I think some supply chain professionals did well. Some did not. Some got fired. Uh, it is what it is. And, and look, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it right there on the table. It, it, it was also a case where the CEO saved their own skin by blaming it on somebody. It does also happen, yeah. So um, unfortunately, the scapegoat in some cases was the CEO or the CSEO. Yeah, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But just to go back to the headlines and the stories that the media covered, there were tons of stories where in hindsight you're thinking, what were you guys thinking relying on one vendor for your entire supply chain? Like, why did you have single sourcing? Like, what in the world made you think that the sort of just-in-time management would work under the situation where we know disruptions will become more common? So why are we still relying on one vendor from one particular region as an entire industry, for example? There's plenty of examples of that where you look at them thinking, well... Maybe we're very nonchalant about risk, right? And maybe now is a time where this all gets cleaned up and that's the time where the right leaders step up to the plate, right? Knut, do you want to comment on, you know, we've, we've had long discussions on single sourcing and just in time and all of that jazz. So maybe I'll, I'll let you comment on that. Yeah. So, so a couple of, couple of, um, um, of thoughts. So um, 
you also read a lot in the press that just in time is over, <laughs> which is quite yeah. interesting because it because people always kind of uh, refer to just in time as hey I have only one uh, day of inventory and um, and that is not possible, uh, but just in time is kind of it's it's a philosophy right so where where you kind of you have that stuff on stock that is required to decouple and then you feed the line but you don't have more. Now, if the if the lead time gets longer and it's more unstable, you need to have more inventory. It's just it's still a just in time system, right? It's just well configured. So let let's not kind of um, um, mislead people. Um, and then they have this kind of strange concept, which I don't understand as a supply chain professional. That's called just in case, right? Um, yeah, sure. If you need inventory, if you need components, you you, you need them, right? So uh, anyhow. Um, what indeed the, the the one the one element that you, that you mentioned is kind of that if if we look back to uh, to the war in Ukraine, what happened there? Um, there was a, kind of a, an automotive supplier that apparently delivered to all premium car manufacturers in Germany, and they were so busy with the semiconductor crisis that apparently they did not look into this these guys. <laughs> and yeah. guess what? There was a kind of a production stoppage for a couple of weeks where I was like. No, <laughs> kind of. Did you learn anything from the last two years? Yet again, this this means that um, supply chain is not yet as elevated as as it should have been, um, and there is kind of too much focus on this on this one thing. So it's complex systems. We need to understand complex systems, and we need to communicate um, these complex systems, and we need to make sure that we that we implement resiliency. Now, um, there is there is always this challenge that that we say that. To be more resilient, we need to implement something, and that something might cost money. Whether it's inventory, whether it's express shipment, whether it's a it's a new IT backbone, whether it's more people. If now the um, the managers would say, "Hey, my KPIs are clearly quarterly driven, so um, if I spend money now on all of this, that helps me to be resilient. If a disruption happens in two years, why would I invest now?" And this is kind of, again, mm -hmm. something where we need to kind of lift it to the board level because that's a strategic decision. It's like an insurance of the supply chain and not kind of uh, manage it down to the uh, to the lower level planners. Again, a topic where the board needs to understand and to end them the implication, um, which is the, the nature of, uh, of a typical supply chain manager to take decisions to ensure, so to say, their supply chains to be much more resilient. Okay, so again, just to finish up the conversation about the last three years, there was such a heavy emphasis and light being shined on supply chain that I'm wondering if there's some sort of supply chain fatigue setting in, right? Where it's And on top of that, people having short memories where, okay, we're going back to normal now, to pre-COVID times because things have smoothed down again and sort of this, this fatigue about supply chain being the most important topic and people going back to worrying about other things. Is this a real risk or do you feel like this relevance and that newly gained seat in boardrooms is here to stay? Or what is the risk of that sort of falling by the wayside and we're going back to supply chain being not as important as it was in the last three years? There's never a down moment, yeah? So um, now you have, just this year, you have, okay, the continuation of the war, you had the earthquake in Turkey, you have geopolitics that are playing more and more um uh, part uh, when was the taiwan blockade i don't remember anymore i mean the, <laughs> I, i'm not so sure that there is a break that there's been i mean okay fine you don't have covid at the height of covid fair enough but mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there's there's quite a few things happening 
um, in, in the world. And um, it doesn't seem that there's such a thing as normal anymore. Uh, I think it's, it's just disruption at different levels mm-hmm. and you got to be able to navigate and to, to adapt to it, uh, A, from the chain model. And um, I don't know, I, I've never thought about uh, in terms of, I mean, interesting, interesting angle in terms of supply chain fatigue. And I guess, you know, if you are indeed uh, writing in the press <laughs> and, uh, and uh, at some point you get bored by a certain uh, terminology, <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't done uh, data analytics on the uh, press titles that they are using, but I know for a fact there's a lot of discussions in the angle or on the angle of geopolitics. How do you move your manufacturing? Where do you put it? Near shoring, friendly countries versus not so friendly countries. How do you um, get closer to the markets? Why is Mexico booming? Um, is our people indeed leaving China or not? Um, there's, um, I mean, I, as of today, I sit in Singapore, there's a boom of semicon and electronics in Penang, for example, in Malaysia. They've run out of land. <laughs> Um, to build factories anymore, Thailand as well, Vietnam as well. There's, uh, they're, they're trying to put it in Philippines, in Indonesia. Maybe they don't call it supply chain per se as terms um, in the press, but I see, I see a continuation of all of these discussions. Then you see China brokering deals in the Middle East, making peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of things that are happening from a trade perspective. All of this is supply chain. Now, you you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not seeing at all a fatigue. I'm not seeing also at all a relaxation and a, okay, everything is smooth sailing. Let me go and take a break for two weeks. I think that supply chain professionals haven't taken a break in three years, <laughs> yeah. and I'm also sure that they will in the next two or three as well. Yeah. So maybe this is after all the watershed moments, so the tipping point that <laughs> sort of got us on the way to um, to supply chain leaders becoming CEO material and then also advancing into the role. Um, let's let's. Talk for a little bit about the conversations you had with your book. Um, Radio, you mentioned earlier that the format of the book that you both wrote together is based on conversations. It's based on interviews that you had with successful supply chain leaders from all different walks of life, from all different regions, from all different industries. Share with us what the overarching theme there is. What combines or what connects all of these successful folks? So these are all case studies of people who have made it, right? Who who have advanced into the ranks or either in senior supply chain roles or in some instance even advanced into a CEO role. I remember there were a couple of examples of that as well. Talk to us about how those folks bucked the trend. And I mean, those are examples of people that have figured it out and managed to navigate all the way to the top. What is it about those people? Um, with, without giving it away, because we do want you to read the book, but... Um... Yes, you should. And you, all, all of you should, of course. <laughs> All of the 26 actually did come from fairly varied backgrounds. None of them, like I said before, had supply chain education, formal education. Um, so in, in itself, their careers were fairly different. There wasn't one that you could say uh, this chapter is very much like the other chapter because it's their personal careers and being personal is not linked to a company. Hence, it's very much individual. So in that sense, it's very, um, it's very much 26 examples of how things can work out really well to the sea level. On the commonality of the thread, that's where we came up with the chain model. Because when we analyzed and looked at the 26 interviews, there were five different soft characteristics, but soft skills are the hard skills. Soft characteristics, which we grouped under the chain model, which came out to be the successful traits that anybody can do, you, me, and everybody else, to 
have the best chances of being in an executive position. There's no guarantee. Ultimately, it is not like buying a toaster. You don't have a warranty for six months. But the chain model does give you the best chances of potentially getting there. And, and, and maybe I'll, I'll stop for a second. I'll let uh, Knut explain the chain model. But that is the commonality across across the different interviews. And that was the theme that came up again and again when, when people were talking about what made them successful. Yeah, thanks, Radu. And uh, before we go into the J-Mod, what, what I indeed found super interesting is that we, we, we did not kind of find two careers or two stories um, that were uh, similar. We, we did not kind of write down a, a list of hypotheses to be tested or so. But I think what we expected is that there is some kind of career path or so in there that people would follow. And we found that, hey, <clears throat> they're so diverse, they're so different, they're all successful. And then we kind of digested the um, the, the findings uh, into the into the chain model, and you could indeed say that this is, this is common to them. And um, clearly, a, a chain <laughs> may, makes sense from a supply chain perspective. So, what does it mean? Uh, let me let me uh, kind of go through that, um, and then um, uh, Knut, feel free to. Before we jump into the chain model, I have a, a one question related to that. Let's say instead of you having written this book about supply chain you had written it about another function. And of course, that's not your expertise, but let's say you've had written it about marketing or finance and looked at different people's careers, had interviews. Do you think you would have found a different pattern there? In other words, would you have found more commonalities between the different characters, more sort of a streamlined career from A to B, which is predictable and sort of expected? Or is this something where you find, well, this is something that's very unique to supply chain. We couldn't have found it in any other function the way we did in the supply chain space. So that, that's clearly not so easy to answer because we did not write the book on the other functions and we did not do the interviews on the other functions. As I, as I fully acknowledge, yes. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel that other functions um, are kind of more, um, I would say, straight. You start in marketing and sales and you kind of move around kind of always in marketing and sales, different regions whatsoever, different channels. Um, but 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 you you cannot stay. There's clearly exceptions to that. Um, same I would say in in, in manufacturing, right? Um, but we cannot prove it. So um, mm -hmm. kind of by the by the nature of supply chain being being holistic um, and connecting everything, um, I think this also kind of speaks to the fact that um, what we saw is that people kind of work in all different areas, also to learn, to understand, to also understand, so to say, the other side, right? And um, and with this kind of react. Um, Okay, makes sense. All right, now back to the chain model. I interrupted you. <laughs> back to the chain model, exactly. So uh, let, let, me, let me just kind of unfold what that is. We have C, the first letter of the chain model, and this is uh, collaborative. And what we see here is that um, people um, we interviewed, they clearly go for relationships. Um, and this is not only within the company, that is also externally, whether it's with customers or whether it's with suppliers. We had one of the contributors who told a story that, look, for our SNOP meeting, um, we invited our, our suppliers, our most important suppliers. And there was something where the, the colleagues were shocked. Hey, you cannot do that. Why would you kind of reveal our plans and why would you provide this transparency? And he pushed it through and guess what? It was a, a, a super success. So collaborate mm -hmm. along the, the value chain is super, super important. Then you have, and Radu, please jump in if you, if you want to add. Um, then you have age for holistic. So everyone talks about this holistic thing, but what is it? It's really understanding the big picture and understanding end to end and live and breathe um, end to end. 
Another example of a, of a contributor was like, hey, um, we often tend to kind of blame sales for bad forecast accuracy. Well, it's very easy. Right? I would do better if only sales would be better. No, let's look at it end to end and let's take the system as it is, clearly always trying to improve, but let's take the system as it is and let's set up the system to be successful. And kind of if we are in an environment and that might be internally by whether that's marketing and sales or whether that's finance or whether that's manufacturing or whatsoever, then we need to kind of account for that and we need to kind of push this holistic thinking and we need to explain trade-offs. That will come later to another um, um, element that's very important. But we need to kind of think, breathe, and explain trade-offs um, along the value chain. Because we only, only kind of, if you look into this holistically, you can really, really understand. And the A, the A is uh, adaptable. So we talked a lot about the risk and resilience now. We need to make, make sure that we are um, resilient, we are agile, and we need to be able to kind of... Um, adapt the system, the processes ourselves to, to a changing environment. Very, very important. Then we have the I for influential. And um, influential is kind of, um, it, it could have a bad connotation, right? But what we really mean is that we need to empower people. What we, what we heard throughout the interviews is that all of the contributors were very much kind of looking for empowering their teams, making them successful, kind of like, like you say, kind of um, the B people hire C people and A people hire A plus people, right? So kind of, they were all A people that hired kind of better people to make sure that um, the overall system is, is, is getting better and um, and successful. Very interesting. One contributor also said that she kind of um, went on to a reverse mentoring concept. And then she said that, hey, uh, last summer I took a Python course. We're like, hmm, in your role, chief supply chain officer, Python, <laughs> why do you do that? Yeah, I need mm -hmm. to understand how... My, um, my team thinks and works. We need to also understand how kind of the, the young generation thinks and works, right? And kind of with this, um, be influential. And then the most important, and here Rado definitely needs to comment, uh, is uh, narrative. So we need to kind of have the right narrative in place that uh, people understand what we do, what we want, um, and why all of this um, uh, is so important. So kind of, Explaining with, for example, with pictures, not with kind of um, big numbers and uh, kind of KPIs that no one is interested in and, and, and also understands, but uh, tell the story with pictures. A story sticks, uh, a KPI does not stick, right? You remember um, a personal story that you tell. We had one contributor that said that, hey, look, if, when, I, when I took the role as a COO in, in US, my first town hall was kind of me half an hour talking about how I, I and my family got here, what problems we had and how we managed to get here and that we are super happy that we are here. He did not talk about anything like, hey, that's our margin, that's our KPI, that's our delivery performance and so on, but kind of personal stories. And that clicked very, very well um, with his people. Um, and they immediately had a completely different uh, base to to start from. So narratives uh, being being super, super. And if I might add, your your book is a great example of how to do that. Typically, when you open a supply chain book, you know, at least on, you know, page two or three is the first eye chart and then there's a formulas coming up and then, you know, my eyes glaze over and it's sort of difficult to make your way through a textbook style book. But here it's the book that you've provided. It's based on stories, right? It's personal stories. There's not a lot of pictures, but it's, it's stories. It's written in a narrative format. So you are already exemplifying how to tell the story right and to make it stick. I mean, there's a lot of stories that I remember 
because they were written in a narrative format from the perspective of a person that's experienced it and just told about that story. Radhi, you wanted to add to it before we dive a little bit deeper into this chain model, because when I hear you describe this chain model, uh, Knut, I immediately say, yeah, this all makes complete sense. It sounds very reasonable, very logical. There's not a single thing I would disagree with. Yet, as you say, many of these elements are not represented in reality. They're not being executed. The chain model isn't followed to the T in most organizations. So maybe we can hone in on some of the the obstacles that are in the way of that becoming a reality. Because it's great to you know read the book and learn about the chain model. Everybody's saying, yeah, collaboration is super important and we have to be adaptable in the narrative. I get all of that, but, but there are some real world <laughs> obstacles that people every day have to struggle with in order to make this a reality. Otherwise... This model would be working everywhere, and clearly it's 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 not. I don't know who wants to tackle that first and, and sort of tease out a few of those obvious obstacles that we have to address so it doesn't sound like, yeah, sounds like a great model, and then let's go back to business because business, when rubber meets the road, is is different than the textbook model chain description. Well, Rado? personally, the, the, <laughs> the, the book was published five months ago, so it does take a while, yes? So it is happening, uh, Boris. There's about 10,000. There's about 10,000 okay. copies that have been <laughs> sold and uh, we, we are getting invited to a lot of town halls, which is a clear sign that people are resonating with it, with the format, with the model, um, and that are are seeing the value and are connecting with the day-to-day. But it does take a while, even Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I, I wish maybe this book will be half as successful as that, but it takes a while for this model to propagate <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm probably uh, not being humble enough now with the comparison. But... That's number one. Number two, um, legacy. I would say the, the challenge that's a fundamental challenge with new. I don't even know that chain is new. I mean, if you look into the the way that we have framed it, the way the examples that we were given, perhaps some of the words that we have chosen, fine. I mean, uh, if you distill it to the core, I mean, it's okay, it's soft skills, it's communication skills. This is not, I mean, <laughs> Knut and I can claim uh, some sort of the genius, but there's no genius. This this existed ever since people existed. But we there's certain models that resonate better than others, and it's more, more about do they click in the minds of the people and do they make a connection that can then influence their day-to-day behavior. Now, in reality, on the ground, if you go in supply chain organizations across the world, are they following... Are they strong communicators? Are they taught in school like marketeers and salespeople to communicate? And are, are, are those even practices that are being in, taught at large in engineering schools, in supply chain schools, in logistics schools? No, they're not. So legacy and historical background is what will take a while to shift. It's the people, the people understanding that, okay, this is actually, it's not just the hard skills, which is extremely important. Of course, you should know how to run a network how to run a plant, how to run procurement. Of course, <laughs> I'm not saying just just throw that away, uh, how to run an operations. But fundamentally, how much focus is there when you grow into your career, the first two, three, four, five fundamental years, how much focus is there really on chain? Is there on collaboration, on being good at communication, on presentation skills, on influencing? I dare make a, an assumption because I don't have the data on this. I don't think a lot. I don't think a lot. And for that to change, it means that the whole narrative and people need to understand and first figure out, you know, it's like looking in the mirror. Aha, actually, and it's happening, by the way, Boris, when we give this talk, it has happened already. Uh, Knut and I were in several of these instances, room full of supply chain professionals, like, oh yeah, you're right. Actually, 
I didn't realize. And it's like, it's a fairly, you know, common sense is not that common or, you know, sometimes it's, it's lying in front of your eyes and you don't see it. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that the book right. and I'm hoping with the yeah. channel and I'm hoping that as time passes by, there's going to be more people that realize, actually, this is a very important missing link that that will make the difference between us as the supply chain organizations sharing how we add value to the organization in a way that they understand it or not. And if they don't understand it, that will impact our budgets, our headcount, our narrative in the organization, what they see and how they see what we do, everything, basically. So we'd better ramp up our, <laughs> our communication skills because otherwise it's going to hit us hard. And you could even you can even use the train model itself for these for this narrative because if you think about what what, what happens, let's just assume that there is some um, the the board does not have experience in supply chain. Then clearly, kind of to come with the with the narrative of hey, we need to make sure that we work together better with customers, suppliers, and internally, that we look into this every into everything kind of from a holistic point of view. So there is also a lot of benefits for other functions to understand and to build on this model. Very fractal. So you're seeing seeing the the chain model inside the chain model inside the chain model. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's uh, let's hone in on 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 that last part because we can't cover all the different elements of the chain model. But I do want to hone in on that narrative part again, because I feel like you've done that particularly well in that book. And just to be clear, because you Radu mentioned earlier, let's not give everything away that's in the book. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that service called Blink, which is a sort of a service, is an app that summarizes popular books for you. Right. So and I've used it for a while. And after a while, I got frustrated because, you know, hearing somebody talk about a book or summarizing a book or sort of distilling it for me is not the same thing. It just doesn't stick. You, Yeah, you, you understand. Okay, I got it like a bird's eye picture. But in order for it to really stick long time, you have to go through the entire story and really spend more time with <laughs> with the, with the content than just a, a a blink summary. So I hope people will recognize that here too and, and get the book and not assume that everything we've talked about in the podcast today is, is no, all there is to it. And like the trailer, <laughs> the movie. Radu. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's supposed to it's supposed to entice you to uh, to, to see the to see the real real thing, um, and, and hopefully then uh, then certain things will stick. And then it's it's also the uh, the the mastery or the getting good at something takes a while. It, it does take a while. And I mean, nobody, you know, Bruce Lee didn't become a, a, a master of martial arts overnight. So these things do take a while, but you got to start first with the realization, hey, it is actually important. It will make or break how supply chain is perceived in an organization. It will break the story of supply chain or make in an organization. And we see it. I mean, I was with the chief supply chain officer. He has recently started in a very large Fortune 20 company and he was saying that day in day out that's his main <laughs> that's his main focus area to be clear with his team on the value they bring and to share with them and how to communicate that onwards with their business units to make sure that the story of supply chain the narrative of supply chain is clear to everybody in the company because that will dictate the budget that they will get so it's an incredibly powerful uh, tool if used correctly And, and also at Uncle Global, I mean, we, we've started doing this. Uh, so we have an academy and online as well as uh, courses that, that we're starting to deliver. And narrative for supply chain professionals, how to tell a narrative is the most taken course. So there is definitely an understanding from, especially from the top. Mm. Most of the chief supply chain officers that, that we speak to on a regular basis see and understand this. And they've been through this themselves and they face this channel. So they're trying to inspire their teams 
um, subsequently to trickle down this effect, to get case studies out there, to get examples out there, to get them to be better at this, at this skill. Um, so I think there's, there's, we are on the right path, just like with other things, diversity or, or so on, sustainability, we are on the right path. Now, the speed with which this will propagate uh, will depend also on channels like your, yours. Boris, thanks for having us on the podcast. will depend on how many people listen to it, how many people find value into it, and, uh, and so on. No, I fully agree with you that that ability to describe very complex things that are happening in supply chain in very easy to remember, memorable, visual terms. I think that's a skill that's super often underestimated. And it's actually frowned upon by some experts because it sort of feels like you're dumbing it down when you describe like the supply chain as Lego blocks. And there's a, there's a real benefit to being able to distill something and explain to me like I'm a five-year-old. Remember how you, Radu said earlier that your daughter is reading the book or wants to read the book at 10 years old? That's great. I mean, if you actually can describe a very, very complex, complicated issue in very simple terms, that's actually not a sign of you dumbing it down. It's a sign of you really grasping it and finding ways to make it memorable. And I think that's a skill that is super underestimated and oftentimes frowned upon. Knut, would you agree? Definitely, definitely. And um, this is yeah. also reflected in when we, when, we, when we talk to chief supply chain officers and we ask them, hey, do you invest in, in your people's ability to tell a story? Do you do this, um, uh, this narrative courses? Do you set aside a budget for supply chain marketing? Mm. Everyone says, oh, that's a good idea. I do not do that. But I need to start. <laughs> I need to start now. And, and do they start? I mean, do they, all, do they only recognize and acknowledge and then just go back to normal business? Or do they actually move then? Is there enough reason to compel people to actually jump in and, and actually change something about it? As Radu said, right? So kind of um, uh, I could offering this, this course on kind of supply chain communication narrative. Um, so yes, it's starting. It's getting real. And uh, people start to look into it and mastering. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else, gentlemen, to add? I mean, again, we've only barely scratched the surface on most of the stuff and most of the insights that you've revealed through these conversations with these 26 um, exemplary supply chain leaders. But anything else to add? Anything that we've missed that you want to communicate to the audience before we close off? I think we had a great discussion. So thanks a lot for having us. And um, all of us uh, three are kind of uh, passionate about kind of this uh, bringing supply chain to the board and make sure that there is uh, they keep a seat at the table. So let's make sure that we that we spread the news. Exactly. Yes. And Radu's already doing that. The most visible person on LinkedIn in supply chain, still Radu Palamario. <laughs> at least it feels like. So you're you're doing a lot of things right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I think we're living an exciting time. Uh, again, I I uh, I don't come from supply chain. I fell into it 10, 15 years ago. I, I genuinely love the people. That, that's what made me stay. Um, of course, our business is, is headhunting and HR related, but I do love the people in supply chain. They're by and large, super practical, well-intent, by and large, not all, but by and large, the larger population than, I don't know, other sectors that I will not name because I'll get myself in trouble. Um, they're humble. They, they really fix hard problems. And, and I think it is high time that they know how to communicate the value they bring better and that they get to those C-level positions, not for pride, ego, um, narcissism reasons, but for impact reasons. Because they set, just like Tim Cook and Mary Barra, and they are trailblazers. They set the, the trail for other people to follow. 
And 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 again, because it's so strategic, because people and company companies are not competing on products anymore, you can pretty much make an iPhone, make a Samsung phone. If you this is this disassemble it, you can make the same thing in two weeks. Taking it to market, distributing it, the supply chain side of it at global scale, you can't. You can't steal. You can't copy. It's impossible. You can copy the product. You can't copy the supply chain. So actually, companies are fighting on their supply chains. That is the USP, unique selling proposition. So that's that's my belief. That's why I think we should see more of supply chain professionals in C-level position because of the impact and of the importance that they truly bring to organizations. Very well said. Great final words. Knud, Radio, thank you very much for coming on the program. I will leave a link in the show notes for people who are interested in buying the book, which is available everywhere, I guess, on Amazon. That's why I got it on my Kindle. But you can also get the physical copies I saw in bookstores. Not everywhere, but in Singapore for sure. So thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Radu Palamario and Knud Aleke. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm always happy to get your feedback, so please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. You will find a link in the show notes. If you're interested in exploring today's topic in more detail, I recommend you have a look at Knud and Radu's recent book called From Source to Sold. You will find a link to that book in the show notes as well. That was it for today. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time.